Awesome, son. Awesome, huh? Uh, All righty then. How many of you, 2013 was a great year? You just hope to continue just riding that right on in 2014 and ride that wave and keep right on going. Raise your hand, Benny, or you're in trouble. There you go. <laughs> a few of you, okay. How many of you are sort of on the other end of that spectrum? 2013 just pretty much sucked, and you're ready to get rid of it. You're ready to kick it in the butt, get it out the door, forget it. Let's start all over and get something going. Okay. That leaves a lot of sort of stuck in the middle. There was some good. There was some bad. That, that's, fine. that's fine. How many of you made a New Year's resolution? One. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> All righty. Um, wow. One resolution. How many of you didn't make a resolution? <laughs> that's a lot more. You know, we like things that are new. The new year gets us going. We like new things. New brings some excitement, some some unknown. To start off a new year, we have resolutions, or maybe we don't, or we're trying to figure out what we're doing. I, you know, personally, I, I don't do resolutions. I haven't done them in a number of years. Instead, I do a personal growth plan <laughs> instead of a resolution. I, I got into this a number of years ago. I have no idea as to why. Uh, I, I just did. Uh, I'll give you a, an example of my, of my growth plan. Not a resolution, but a growth plan. I uh, sat down the other day, came up, and, and this isn't my whole growth plan, but it, it's a, a good portion of it. Uh, in the spiritual areas in my life, I want to read and meditate on at least one verse of Scripture each day, do an in-depth study of at least one book in the Bible, spend time in prayer each day, become a better pastor, develop a deeper relationship with Christ, go on a mission trip, uh, health goals, keep my cholesterol down below 185, pulse rate below 80, walk three miles a week, maintain a body weight between 185 and 190, get body fat up below 20%, eat at least a 50% healthy diet. Personal wise, that's going to be a stretch. Uh, personal wise, I want to compliment at least one person each day, do something nice for someone each day, read 12 books and 20 book summaries, and be a zombie on The Walking Dead. And that really is in my growth plan. Uh, so what's the difference between a resolution and a growth plan? Basically the title. That's it. They're pretty much the same thing, right? Except growth plans are probably for more for those of us that are obsessive and anal and overthink most things. But we need to have some sort of goal, whether you call it a resolution a growth plan, a goal, whatever. We need to have something, and starting out the new year is a great time to do that. Uh, according to a study at Virginia Tech, they found that 80% of Americans have no goals whatsoever. Now, having a personal growth plan, that really stretches my mind to think 80% of don't have any goals at all, but none. Another 16% have goals but they never write them down. That leaves 4% who have goals and write them down. And out of all that, only 1% of those people have goals, write them down, and go back and check on them regularly to see how they're doing. 
Now, this is where you really want to take note. That 1% that write them down and check on them regularly, during the course of their lifetime, average earning nine times more income than those who don't have any goals at all. Having them, writing them down, checking on them, makes a world of difference. Okay? Makes a world of difference. Um, today we start a new series, a new year, and we start a new series of Reset. And it's a great time to sort of reset those, to sit down and to think about some things and, and where are we going to go? How are we going to do this? How are we going to make 2014, even if 2013 was great, how are we going to make it even better? And if 2013 just really stunk, how are we going to improve and how are we going to make that better? How are we going to make ourselves better? Now, most of us, I would hope, want this year to be better than last year. And we've all messed up and we've all made some mistakes and, and slipped on some things and stuff like that. So how do we improve? Uh, just a simple practical question. How do I go about improving? When I was coaching, we looked at improving two different, from two different approaches to get the best out of our team and the best out of our individual athletes. One was we looked at the athlete and said, what's their strength? What do they do absolute best? And how do we build on that? How do we maximize that? How do we get the, the very most we can get out of that? The other aspect you had to look at was not so much fun, and that's, so what are my weaknesses? What, what are their weaknesses? How can, what's holding them back? What's keeping them from being, reaching the potential that they can? And, and how do we change that? How do we, how do we build those weaknesses and get them from either not being a weakness at all or at least not as weak and, and holding back? And so we look at both of those things, okay? I want you to take a look at this, uh, at this video. It's called the marshmallow test, and then we'll go from there. <laughs> the marshmallow test. That's sort of where some of us are today because in that taking a look at our weaknesses, what's holding us back, what keeps us from going forward, um, one of the biggest things in our lives is our temptations that we deal with. Okay? Just like putting a marshmallow in front of a kid. What's there? What's going to happen? So, Let's take a look at some of our marshmallows. You know, what are we going to do? What, how do we deal with those things that get in the way of our relationship with Christ? What about, uh, what about greed? What about we've been blessed? God provides a lot of things for us, but do we spend our money on the things that God wants us to spend our money on? Huh? How do we deal with that one? Okay. Or what about being selfish and self-centered? How are we going to deal with that? Focusing on ourselves instead of others that we've been called to, to serve. What about abuse? Not taking care of our bodies. Either putting things into our bodies that we shouldn't or not putting the things into our bodies that we should. Man, i got all your attention now because you don't know who I'm going to throw to. <laughs> <laughs> And that's okay. I'm sitting here trying to figure out who I'm going to throw to, too. Hopefully somebody's going to catch it and I'm going to bop in the head. <laughs> so, uh, and this one's going to really get your attention. Who am I going to throw this one to? Porn. What about those things that we shouldn't do? What about those websites that we shouldn't be going to? Uh, things that we shouldn't be watching. Things that we shouldn't be filling our minds with and, and twisting and turning. I'll give that one to Pastor Bobby. <laughs> How are we going to deal with those things in our lives? And the list goes on, right? I mean, that's, 
an incredibly short list. There's a ton of other things. How are we going to deal with those in our lives? And guarantee, there's not a single person sitting here today that isn't dealing with temptation on some level, some form, some fashion. This isn't one of those things that it's only for a limited few people. Every single one of us deal with it and struggle with it. Take a second and think about that. What's your biggest temptation? What's the temptation that you struggle with the most? Okay. Now, for a lot of you, that popped into your mind right away. Just boom, it's there, right? I mean, it takes me no time to think of mine. It's just, it's just automatically there. Lean over to the person sitting next to you and don't tell them. Don't tell them <laughs> what it is. Okay, that, No, don't, don't do that. Just lean over to them, look at them, and go, hey, at least mine's not as bad as yours. <laughs> no, don't do that either. <laughs> don't, let's not go there, but I guess. But uh, Truth of the matter is, we're all jacked up. All of us have problems. All of us have issues. That's one of the things I love about the Ridge. The Ridge is one of the few churches I've ever been a part of that don't pretend to be messed up. You know, the other churches I've been a part of, uh, have been a part of a few other churches that everybody seems you have to pretend to be perfect and have your act together and have it all together. And we don't pretend here. Uh, from Pastor Bobby right on down, we know we're messed up. Uh, and if you aren't messed up, please go someplace else. I mean, because this is a church for messed up people. Uh, no, but we do. We struggle. We struggle. Okay? So if we deal with temptations all the time, and we want to make 2014 a better year, and we want to improve on our weaknesses and deal with those temptations where they don't separate us so much from Christ, then, then what do we do? How do we go about it in a practical, logical way? Okay? We want to see what God says about it. And we're going to check out James. As a matter of fact, the series we start today, uh, Reset, is centered in the book of James. So we're going to be talking about different things in James for the next six weeks. Is that right? For the next six weeks. So before we get into that, I want to give you a little bit of background on James, uh, both the book and the person who wrote it. Okay? So you'll have a better ideas we go through this whole series. Uh, most scholars believe that the book of James was written by, are you ready for this? James. But now, there are four James mentioned in the New Testament. And most scholars tend to believe and, and agree that uh, the James who wrote uh, this letter, or this book of James in the New Testament, was actually Jesus' little brother, or more specifically and accurately, his little half-brother. Uh, Mary was the mother to both, but you know, God was Jesus' daddy, and Joseph was James's daddy. So his little half-brother. One of the things that a lot of people don't realize was that James, though, even though he was Jesus' little brother, during Jesus' ministry, James wasn't buying it. He was not picking up what Jesus was putting down. He was not thinking that his big brother was the Messiah. And that may be sort of hard to, to get your mind wrapped around, but Andy Stanley does a great job. You see, Andy Stanley poses it like this. How hard would it be for you to convince your little brother that you were God? Just how hard would that be? I, I cannot imagine trying to convince my little sister that I was God. I could convince her that I was Satan, but I could never convince her that I was God. I'm pretty sure of it. Some other things about the book of James. Uh, it's a letter written to Jewish 
believers in Jerusalem in, in the very early church. Uh, it's believed to be actually the first book written of the New Testament books. Um, it's also a lot of times considered to be the most practical book in the New Testament. And I think it's an awesome place for us to, to start the, the new year taking a practical look at things and going into what's considered to be by many the most practical book and seeing how to deal with things as we try to reset our lives. Now, now one warning I have to give you about James. Nobody ever accused James of being warm and fuzzy. James wasn't a soft-spoken person. He was a call-it-like-he-saw-it, in-your-face, speaking the truth boldly and from the heart from the viewpoints from both the viewpoints of someone who knew firsthand what disbelief was but also knew firsthand what belief was and someone that he had known all of his life and came to find out that he wasn't just his brother but he was his Lord and Savior incredible, incredible part to look at from James. So let's check out some stuff in James. James 1 is where we're going to be today, uh, verses 13 through 18. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you ever need a Bible, they're out next to the, the Ridge Central table. They're, please pick one up. They're free for taking if, if you'd like one. Uh, James 13 through 18 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for the opportunities that you give us, for the blessings that you pour into us. We thank you for giving us a source to go to, your word to go to, when we're really struggling in our lives. When our struggle is, is there and seem to be fighting ourselves when the answers aren't there and you provide us a place for us to find those answers. Father, we thank you for, for your love of, of regardless of what we deal with, regardless of the junk and the garbage in our lives, even if we brought it upon ourselves. We thank you for your love, that you love us so much that you still want us. Father, help us get our mind wrapped around that love so that we can come closer to you or we can help others and help come closer to you. Lord, I ask that you take this message. I ask that you bless it and use it for Jesus' glory. In your son's name, amen. So let's take a couple of minutes and break down these scriptures in James. Um, and we're going to go through some steps to help deal with temptation. Step one, according to James, man up. Take responsibility. 
okay? That's step one, just manning up, taking responsibility. Verse 13 tells us that it's not God's fault that we're tempted. God can't be tempted. He doesn't tempt anyone. God doesn't tempt you. No one can be in the middle of some, some battle and, and temptation and go, oh, God, just, he's just tempting me to see if I'm going to do God doesn't tempt us with evil, okay? He just doesn't do that. It's not him. It's us. We live in an excuse culture, not a responsibility culture, right? It's never our fault. We're always looking for somebody else to blame, something else to, to put it off on. It can't be us. It must be someone else or somebody, something else at least. It's not us. Yeah, but has become our battle cry. Well, you did this wrong. Yeah, but. Or, or why aren't you doing this right? Well, yeah, but. We always have that but. We always have that excuse coming in. We tend to minimize our sin. We try to, and, and basically, let's face it, I mean, sin is, I never hear the word sin outside of church. I'm never at work and hear somebody say, whoop, I sinned. No, it, it, but I messed up. I've, I've, I've done something. Sin is, is doing things that displease God, that move us, that take us away from him. Um, we like to minimize a lot of those. We like to categorize a lot of them as little sin, big sin. And, well, this one's not as bad as that. Uh, you know, this is okay. And, and Or sometimes we even think sin is kind of cute. And, and it's not cute. It's damaging. It's hurtful. And we need to understand that. Uh, most recovery programs, for any type of abuse, the first two steps of most recovery programs are, one, admitting that you have a problem, and two, taking responsibility for your own actions. And it's a great place for us to start here as well. Okay? So man up. Take responsibility. Step two, James says, don't be deceived. Don't be, don't be fooled. Understand what's going on. Don't be fooled. Uh, verses 14 through 16. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. Sin, when fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. To avoid deception, to, to, to keep from being fooled, we need to understand how temptation works. Do we have any fishermen in, in here? Anybody fish? A few? Have you ever stopped and wondered just how dumb a fish has to be? I mean, really? Really? I mean, fish are just sort of hanging out. They're swimming around, just hanging out next to the stump. Everything's cool. All of a sudden, they look over, something shiny. One of them goes, shiny, boom, eats it, and he's gone. The other fish are still just hanging out there. Well, what happened to him? I don't know. But if that shiny thing comes back, I'm going to eat it. Really? Like, come on, fish, figure it out. Or deadliest catch? I know Pastor Bobby's a big fan of Deadliest Catch. How dumb does a crab have to be? Cage sitting on the bottom of the ocean. Looks up. All these other crabs are stuck in there. They can't get out. But ooh, looks like food. I'm going to. Hey, quit. You think there were some dumb creatures. And then you look at us. And we do the same blasted thing. Ooh, shiny. Ooh, sexy. You ever wonder if the angels are sitting there in heaven going, really? How dumb are humans? When are they going to figure it out? They see what happens to the others and they go right after it too. It happens to them. They get it together. They go right back and do the same thing. Come on. 
But it's all about the deception. It's all about the lure, the enticing. To be lured, to be enticed is, is to be drawn to, to be baited, to, to ooh, shiny, pretty, that's what you want. And to be deceived at just how dangerous it is and how harmful it is and how damaging it is. And then we take the bait. Okay? We do the exact same thing. If we stay, if we stay in a tempting situation long enough, we're going to do it. It's that simple. If if we keep going back to the same situation, if we keep putting ourselves in the same situation, we're eventually going to do it. But we are great at rationalizing. We're great at it. We'll say things like, "Well, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, it, it it doesn't hurt anybody else. It, it's just me." Or you know, other people do it too. There's no harm, no foul. Or it's the last time. Or God's going to forgive me anyway. And we'll take that bait. And that in and of itself is disobedience. And even if it stops right there, it would be offensive to God. But then when, especially when we don't stop right there, we keep going on, then James tells us it leads to death. And make sure you understand this, because this is where you get a lot of kickback from people. Even if it's not verbal, it's in their own mind. They're going, wait, well, time out, time out. Death? Really? Oh, come on, Rusty. Let, let's be real. I've looked at a lot of porn, and it's never killed me. Or, you know, I've, I've cheated on my taxes, and it's never killed me. Or, I've, I've lied to my wife a lot, and it hasn't, you know, she hasn't killed me yet. Operative word there is yet. But, you know, it's not going to cause a physical death. But there's more than physical death when we're talking about death. There's physical death, and then there's death to the life that Christ has for us. The Bible tells us that Christ came to give us abundant life. He has a plan for each and every one of us. That's a very specific plan. He's given us talents, gifts, abilities to use for his purpose and to build his kingdom and to, and to have the best life in his eyes that we can have. And it's an abundant life, and we would we could grasp that and do that, then even if our surroundings aren't that great, we feel the joy of being in his presence and, and his abundance. But when we do things in temptation, when we do things that move us away from him, because he doesn't move, he's right there. The temptation of getting drawn into stuff and, and lured in and trapped into things move us away from him. And the further we get away from him, the more that abundant life that he has planned for us dies. Pastor Bobby preached a sermon not too terribly long ago that his bottom line was you either kill the sin or the sin kills you. That sin starts with temptation. Starts with temptation. Another part that James is trying to get, point out is the whole deception part. A lot of it has to do with the time gap. That's why he uses the birth analogy on the, on the whole uh, thing talking about temptation. You know, biologically speaking, when a woman becomes pregnant, when, when she conceives, at that instant when an egg is fertilized, it, it's not necessarily that they're like, boom, yep, there it is, I'm pregnant. But generally, a, a short time later, then she goes, oh, yeah, I'm pregnant. And then nine months later, 
uh, you know, then you have a birth, and then you have a period of growth, and then you have death. There's a general life cycle. Well, a lot of sin is the same way. At the point of conception, when it first gets there, we don't even know it. It's so deceptive. It's so subtle at times. We don't even realize that we're being tempted and being lured in. I'll give you a good example. Take success. The desire of success in its pure form is, a, is not sin. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us as Christians, we're called to do the very best that we can do in everything that we do because we represent Christ, right? So success isn't sin. But then we take it and we warp it and we turn it and we distort it and we twist it into something that it's not designed to be. For example, wanting to be successful so bad that we're willing to give up everything else to do it, that we're willing to give up our family time and neglect our family. We're willing to give up our relationship with Christ because we don't have time to pick up a Bible because we're too busy working on a spreadsheet or working on this account or working on something else. A couple of weeks ago, I talked to a lady. I was actually doing some Christmas shopping and was in a business. And it was a large business, and, and the lady that was checking me out was the owner, and we, we got to talking, and she was talking about how she was getting ready to either downsize or go out of business. She wasn't sure which. She, she wanted to already set the date that that building was closing. Um, she wanted to find a smaller venue to move her business into, but she, she hadn't found one, so it looked like she was just going to go out of business. It wasn't that her business wasn't successful. Her business was being very successful. The problem was the amount of time that she was spending in her business. She said that when she realized that she was staying at work, coming to work in the morning, staying all day, staying all evening, going home at 4 a.m. Because after the business closed, she was redesigning displays and redoing things to really be better, look better, sell more. So when she started coming in at 4 a.m. from work, her husband finally said, that's enough. Something's got to change. And they sat down and they talked, and, and at that, up until that point, she hadn't realized just how much damage she had been doing to her marriage. Sacrificing her marriage for her work. And so she had decided at that point, I'm either going to drastically downsize or just go out of business because it's not worth my marriage. And good for her. I mean, you know, props go to her for being able to finally recognize that and to take steps to do that. Her, her drive for success has changed from what it should have been. Okay? So a lot of times it, it sneaks in on us. We don't even see it coming. So how do you deal with it? We change directions. We just change directions. In verse 17 and 18, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. How do we change directions? We focus on what God gives us. Good things, perfect things come down from heaven. God puts them in our path. God puts them in our life. If we focus on those, then our focus isn't on the temptation. God blesses us with a spouse if we focus on our spouse and not with what's over here trying to draw our attention. God puts his word in front of us if we focus on his word instead of going to, to sites and websites and things that we shouldn't be on 
focus on the perfect gift when the temptation is just something that's over there and not even in our life. We have to change direction. First fruits, it tells us that that we're created to be a type of first fruits of this creature. First fruits were the cream of the crop, the best of the best. It's what the Jewish people gave as their sacrifice. They didn't go out when it was time to sacrifice, say, a lamb and find the weakest, scrawniest, sickliest little lamb and go, that's not going to live anyway, let's sacrifice it. No, they went out and they took the best. We're called to be the first fruits. We're called to be of mankind something that people can look at us and go, I don't know what you've got, but I want it. You've got a ton of stuff going on in your life that's out of your control. I don't know how you're handling it the way you're handling it. I don't want what's going on to you, but I want to be able to handle whatever happens to me the way you're handling that. We don't do that by chasing temptation. We do that by focusing on the gifts that God puts in front of us. The last step that James gives us is to get help. And for this, we're going to bump over a couple of chapters uh, in James. James 5, 16. It says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. If we battle temptation by ourselves, we'll lose. We'll lose. A lot of people, most people, I would think, when you're really struggling with something and you've got something going on in your life and you know that, no, it shouldn't be going on in, our, in your life, most people think that the worst thing that can happen is if somebody else finds out. Man, if they find out, it's not going to be good. But the truth of the matter is, that's an exact opposite of the truth. And it's a lie that Satan cons us into believing. Man, if other people know your history, it's all done, it's over with. The truth of the matter is, the worst thing that can happen is if nobody finds out. Because if nobody finds out, we keep doing it. We just keep right on. We have that hidden sin, that secret sin. And hidden sin or secret sin wins. Wins. It puts us in a state of isolation. It puts us in a state of of shame and guilt. And and we get eat up with it. And Satan just just cranks up on that and cranks it out. And goes, man, if they know knew what you do, they won't even let you in the parking lot at the church. You better not let anybody know. Those are those are righteous people. You know you don't deserve to be there. And it's a lie that he feeds to us. How many times, how many times have you heard somebody say, oh, the people I'd go to church, they just think that everybody there, they just, they just think that they're better than I am. What they're really saying, what they're really feeling inside is, I don't want to go to that church because I think all those people are better than me and I don't deserve to be there. And if I were there, then that I can't measure up. No, it's not about measuring up. Because when we have that type of thought, then Satan keeps us isolated, keeps us, and we can't get to the people that can help us. We have to move toward that. 
confess it to God. Tell God about it. Tell, get an accountability partner as we praise in church. Get, get someone that you can bond with and can talk to and can deal with. That's one of the great things about small groups. That's what small groups, uh, one of the big things they're designed to do is to develop a close enough relationship with people. Not that you go in and, and stand up in your small group and go, well, this week I've, and, and start, no, that's, but to develop a, a close enough bond and relationship with someone in that group that you can have one-on-one conversations. Highly recommend that men have a man, a man to have man-to-man conversations with and women have a, a woman to have woman-to-woman conversations with because obviously men don't understand women and they, if they say they do, they're lying and we need to talk about that temptation and, you know, maybe women understand men. I don't know. We're a lot easier to figure out. But have those woman-to-woman, man-to-man conversations. And in small groups, you can develop that bond with somebody. We would love to have more small groups. would love to have more small groups here at the Ridge. If you're interested, please let a pastor know today. And we'll start, we'll start heading you in that direction. But that's a step in changing direction versus trying to handle things on our own. Because we're not going to win on our own. Can we win against temptation? Yes. Doesn't mean that we're not going to be tempted because we have our own desires and we, and we tend to screw those up. But can we battle through that? Yes. How? By taking responsibility, avoiding being fooled and deceived, changing direction, and getting help. Allie and I were, my daughter, Allie and I, uh, were talking about this the other day. And uh, the points got brought up that in Romans, you know, a lot of times we'll have this feeling of, well, but I keep doing the same thing over and over, and so God's not going to forgive me. But Romans tells us that where sin abounds, God's grace abounds even more. And then we, we started having, Allie and I started having this discussion about grace, and she gave a, a great a great analogy that she had heard. She said, God's grace is on the table for the taking. But you can't pick it up if your hands are full of something else. You have to put that something else down in order to pick up God's grace. Uh, Those of you with those marshmallows, let me have those back, if you don't mind, please. Easy, easy. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's okay. I brought spares just in case. <laughs> if you had a marshmallow right there, you're dealing with a temptation in your life, guaranteed. I'm not saying it was that one, <laughs> but you're dealing with something. If you didn't have a marshmallow in your hand, you're dealing with temptation. Is there a better time than right now to reset? To start at square one? To say, not just 2013 or whatever, but to say, whatever it is that you're dealing with, whatever it is that you're struggling with, enough. I'm hitting a reset. 
please just bow your head, close your eyes for me for a second. And, and I want you to visualize some things as I, as I talk through this. Now's a great time just to have a conversation with God. I mean, that's all prayer is. Prayer isn't righteous or flowery or you have to have a seminary degree to talk with God. It's just a conversation with your Father. Take responsibility. Just tell Him, Father, here's something that you already know it, but I'm so, so caught in this. I've been lured into this, and, and I know it's my doing. I know it's my doing. Somebody here that's more than willing because they've come 